Hello and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly fanby show where I, John Warren, shepherd you through the news in games and entertainment while talking to some of the most interesting people I know. This week I sat down with Tayo Adewole to discuss game patents, the intoxicating highs of reality shows, and other trash TV. You'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. But first, we have to get to our top story of the week. Our top story of the week is the news that Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment has successfully secured a patent for its Nemesis system created for 2014 Lord of the Rings game, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. The patent, according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, will take effect on February 23rd and can be maintained until 2035. A published patent carries the requirement of publicly disclosing the nature of the invention and the steps taken to create it in exchange for the limited duration property right to that invention. More importantly, it prevents anyone else from making, using, or selling the invention without a license from the patent holder. You can't even import the invention, so don't even think about ordering a Nemesis system from Japan. Uh, For those of you who may not know, the Nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor and its sequel, Shadow of War, is a mechanic for organizing and manipulating procedurally generated NPCs in an organic and intricate way. This manifested in these games by taking procedurally generated enemies and keeping track of how battles would evolve, with lower-ranked enemies climbing the ladder to usurp fallen or underperforming enemies. This created an emergent narrative unique to the player-specific experience of these games. The system was highly acclaimed at the time of Shadow of Mordor's release and was the centerpiece of its sequel, a game that was overall not as well received. Another game in this franchise has not been made yet. Warner Brothers has been trying to secure this patent since 2015. With it, WB Games can decide the fate of how it wants to use this system, this patent. Does it want to license it out to other studios at a premium? Does it want to keep it all for its own studios? The troubling thing for many is that game development is full of mechanics and moments that are frequently and often shamelessly lifted and adapted from other games. This is common in basically every creative field. Hell, this is common in basically every field of work. Uh, This patent seems like a way to play keep away from other studios, akin to exclusive licensing deals EA Sports has signed with with the NFL, for example. Uh, One thing is almost certain. Another studio will attempt to craft a similar system within the next 25 years, and this will be challenged in court as to the degree of infringement. Maybe Nintendo will try to patent the pairing of a jump and a cartoon spring sound effect now. Let's talk about three big games. Final Fantasy XIV has enjoyed several years now of success and respect in the MMORPG genre, which was once totally dominated by World of Warcraft. This past weekend, the latest major expansion in Walker was announced. Often released in the summer, Final Fantasy XIV expansions typically introduce new classes, new major story events, and new locations to explore. Inwalker carries on in this tradition. One way Inwalker will separate itself from other expansions is the release window. In a break from tra- tradition, Inwalker will come out in the fall of 2021, mostly due to COVID-19 delays. I won't dive too deep into spoiler territory about the plot, and if you haven't played Final Fantasy XIV yet, none of it will make sense anyway, but suffice it to say, Inwalker will conclude 
include the massive tail at the center of the game, making way for something new beyond update 6.0. What this is, we have no idea, but it makes no sense to end Final Fantasy XIV now, since it's one of the world's most popular games. You can check out Natalie Flores' post on fanby.com about the expansion, and also hear her, Steven Strom, PC Mags, Mike Williams, and I talk at length about the new expansion on this week's episode of our RPG podcast, 99 Potions. You should go listen to it. It's very, very good. It's been a little while since I've mentioned Cyberpunk 2077 on the show, but now the game and its studio CD project are in the news for an entirely fresh, bonkers reason. Earlier this week, the Polish studio announced that they had been the victim of a data attack and that company documents and source codes for their games were stolen and being held for ransom. The uh, the ransom note really sucks to behold, actually, and includes the phrase, epically pwned seemingly unironically. The hackers allegedly have HR, accounting, legal, and administrative paperwork in their possession, as well as a source code for Gwent, Cyberpunk 2077, The Witcher 3, and an unreleased version of The Witcher 3. According to CD Projekt, no personal data of players or even ex-employees were stolen as part of the hack. As for the hack itself, it apparently occurred over Twitter, and the hackers want to negotiate with CD Projekt for the safe return of these items before they're posted online or sent to contacts in the games media. CD Projekt says they have no intention of negotiating and have gotten law enforcement involved. The hackers say they want to sink the public image of CD Projekt even deeper than it did after the extremely bizarre and botched launch of 2020's biggest video game. A lot of details of the story have yet to surface, but we will keep an eye on it all. Uh, Speaking of botched launches, (laughs) Bloomberg reported at the beginning of this week that EA is going to decide the fate of Bioware's ambitious and embattled looter shooter Anthem very soon, as soon as this week. The 2019 game was positioned to be the next big live service game, but instead launched to mediocre reviews at best due to a lack of meaningful content. After months of struggling to find an audience, Bioware assigned a small team to overhaul the game, the results of which will be reviewed this week to see if it's worth continuing or if the project will be scrapped altogether. Bioware already has irons in the fire for two successful franchises, Mass Effect and Dragon Age, both of which have games coming out in the next couple of years. EA could very well decide to focus on those instead of salvaging a game that has quite a hill to climb. My guest this week can be seen uh, over on Fanbyte Media uh, because they're a friend of the site, which is wonderful. But you can also find their bylines at VoiceMag UK. Uh, and a bunch of other places, poet, podcaster, uh, all-time trash TV fan, Olga <laughs> Tayo Arjuole. How are you? How are you, Teo? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm glad the um, trash TV expert is kind of being put next to my name. I feel like I think it's I good it at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think you should definitely wear it because I. I I, I reached out to you the second you, uh, you you made like a thread about about 90 Day Fiance, which we will get into at length. Uh, but also, yes, I've just <laughs> been noticing that you just you, you watch a lot of trash TV. And so we will get there. I yeah. want to definitely talk to you about a lot of that, um, which is amazing. And uh, first, though, because, I mean, I guess this is technically a gaming podcast network. I don't know. Is it? It seems like it's not more and more, but that's fine. Um, I want to ask you about patent law because I know, Teo, you are a licensed lawyer. I'm just kidding. But you are someone who uh, plays games <laughs> and uh, have probably seen the news. 
about Warner Brothers uh, patenting the Nemesis system from uh, the Shadow of Mordor series, which is pretty big story coming out of past the last weekend. Um, I want to get your two cents on it. Kind of, it was obviously a controversial thing, and WB is taking a victory lap about it. But how do you feel about it? I think it's interesting because I wonder how like specifically it actually applies because mm. I. I'm not like an expert on patent law or anything, so I don't. Sure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, neither. Like, to, to be clear, neither am I. I just I read things <laughs> smart people write, and I'm like, oh yes, okay, yeah. that makes sense. <clears throat> but, but I guess I guess like the scary, or not scary, but like the thing about this is like because it's Warner Brothers and they have a massive legal team, it basically scares anyone off. Mm -hmm. So even the fact, even when it's like probably not that legally applicable. It's still like, oh, do I want to go against Warner Brothers in court? Probably not. Let me avoid this entire area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think what was... Did you play those games? The Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games? I did not. I okay. did not. They Like, the first one was really interesting because it was basically just Assassin's Creed. But, like, what made it notable was this system. And I... what What was so funny is that they, like... They hung their hat so hard on that system being the the main event of Shadow of War that I don't think they 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 failed to actually make a good game underneath <laughs> that, uh, which was like a bold choice. I feel like, um, yeah. And the rumor is that they're they're really planning on not like licensing this out, um, and it seems like a bad idea. I guess to put you on the spot. Um, <laughs> What game mechanic might be next to be patented, do you think? Because I've been thinking about this all week. Like, what kind of thing might some terrible law firm try to act like is a proprietary thing next? <laughs> I'm trying to think because, I mean, the problem is everyone's too busy stealing stuff from each other. So it's hard to be like, <laughs> I, uh, this is like the Nemesis system is the closest I can think of to something which is like a discreet mechanic right yeah. um i don't know if that's just because no one else bothered to touch it but like <laughs> <laughs> i've just gotten very scared over the past week that nintendo is going to be like yeah no one can now make um a jump with a boing sound underneath it let's just that's just ours so <laughs> to celebrate bowser's fury and super mario world 3d <gasps> we're 3d world we're just gonna patent jumping with a sound effect um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I've I've been kind of low-key worried. I mean, we've been talking a lot about Hitman 3 over the past few weeks. I don't think IOI or anyone would do something like this uh, with that system. But, like, there's so many intricate, uh, like, crowd AI things in that yeah. series that I get a little bit worried about it now that now that this precedent has been set. But hopefully they see the, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, hopefully they see the attitude around doing this and, and decide not to because they've been a pretty good studio for the past few years. Yeah. Also, it doesn't, it doesn't, unless I'm mistaken, they don't have like the massive um, weight behind them of Warner Brothers. Probably so not. it's less likely for someone to just, or someone is more likely to be able to just push against it and realize that it's not a particularly strong claim. Yeah. Now I'm getting scared that Warner might patent turning a, turning a, a five-year-old movie into a brand new movie and calling it a TV series. <laughs> I'm super worried about that now. All of a sudden, apropos of nothing. Um, <laughs> what else have you been, what have you, uh, what have you been playing lately? I'm curious. 
Uh, ooh, I my why play is basically all over the place. Uh, I've done a bit a bit of Destiny two. Um, I oh yeah have such a weird relationship to that game, I guess, because I don't necessarily have the time to be going and doing every single piece of content, but. I'm so like used to that game that I could just turn it on and jump in and be like, oh yeah, we're just doing this now. Um, <laughs> I think it probably says something about um, how like smooth that game is to play. That even when the writing makes no sense or when like some of the missions are uh, a bit crap, like you still can very easily just jump into it. And yeah, so that's. I think I do a lot. Um, I am still playing into the breach for some reason. I it's just it. Nice. I've got the brainworms and they won't they won't leave. <laughs> I don't think I knew that about you. I mean, our our editor in chief uh, Danielle. Um, I hope I'm not blowing up her spot too much, but I mean, she's put literally like two thousand <laughs> active hours into that game. Yeah, I think I literally got the game because I heard Daniel talk about it last, awesome. and I was like, Amazing. "This sounds cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I love that game too. I mean, it's one of the only um, kind of strategy, like tactics games in that in that vein that I've actually put more than I don't know five or ten hours into. Um, I still need to like really get into it. It's still on my list of things to do. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, Destiny. I think I, know I just, it's like I'm a- just I just love. Yes, go on. No, no, go ahead. You just love No, it. I was just going to say, I just, I like, I love turn-based stuff always. It just works well with my brain. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I definitely like the, uh, I, I, someone tried to get me on real-time strategy games at some point, uh, like 15 years ago, and my, I don't have enough brain cells for that, it turns out. <laughs> um, so I have to usually take turns and that, that works better. Um, going back to Destiny for like one second, I, I it's kind of in a weird spot, you know. It seems from a community perspective, I would say it's like it's that's one of those communities I kind of have my eyes on just because so many of our crew mm-hmm. here at Fanbyte like you know play that game and pay attention to it. Um, h- how do you feel about the 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 current state of that game and how hopeful are you for the future? I mean. <laughs> It's weird because there's there's because like the game is good right now. Like I wouldn't say it's like awful, and I'm like going to Bungie like please fix everything about it here. <laughs> but it still has this weird thing, and this is the like the thing with Destiny, which is why I think me and I think a lot of people are, like weirdly attached to it is you always can see the potential, and so you're like. And for example, like I'm also like a fan of Arsenal football team, even though I don't watch football that much. And it's the same thing where you're always like, "Oh, there's a potential there. I can see it. I can see the good, the best version of this in my mind." And then it just doesn't materialize. <laughs> I mean, that's sports, right? I mean, I, I that's that's honestly a really good analogy. I feel like my favorite sports teams are always just kind of like. Yeah, this is mostly a thing that I like, but it could be better, like a lot better. Um, yeah, that's really funny. Um, well, what else? Uh, anything else besides uh, Into the Breach and Destiny Two? Uh, I finally downloaded, oh yeah, downloaded Slay the Spire. Oh, nice. Um, and again, this is me on my turn-based shit. I like, <laughs> I just, I, I really. 
it's one of those things where it's but it both is frustrating at points, but I just like really like the way that game works. And I think most of the time, for me anyway, when I fail at it, it's like, oh, I literally wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than like, oh, right, this is kind of just... I mean, there are points where you're like, oh, this is just completely screwed me. And it's a bit annoying because sometimes you'll just be like, oh, so there was literally no way of me doing good here. But I think a lot... I think that game works for me anyway. Yeah. That's cool. Um, okay. I think it's time. I have to talk, <laughs> I have to ask you about Trash TV. I, I want – first of all, I want to know – I have so many questions, but I kind of want to know your history with kind of Trashy TV. When did you kind of get into it, and what was really the first show that you latched onto? I'm trying to think. I think maybe when – it's not – Probably most, re- um, the it's weird. I think there's two sides to it. Firstly, the first side is that I am Nigerian, so I have watched a lot of Nollywood, and <laughs> okay. most of Nollywood is that style of just like I would just be really dramatic. I would just going over the top, and we're not really um, worrying about things being realistic or whatever. So that's kind of like when I think about it, that's where I've gotten like an appreciation for this kind of. Um, work or like uh, art is an interesting word to put on it but like this kind of uh, media is because like I, I just have that background Um, and I think in terms of like western I guess trash TV it's not actually been that long it's like maybe a year or two ago where I've just started like really getting into it mm. Um, instead of just like seeing random people tweet about it and being like oh that's fun yeah yeah how do you define trash TV? I'm curious. Oof. <laughs> this is a great question. Um, my it's very loose, but how I normally define it is TV that isn't designed for you to think critically about. And like, I'm a weirdo, so I'll think critically about literally anything. Um, sure. As you can, you've probably seen from my tweets about the trash TV I watch. Uh-huh. But like. <laughs> But I was gonna listen. I was gonna, not, call, I was gonna like, call you out on yeah. it, but like it's fine. I'm glad you cut me off in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you're not meant to, at least from the perspective of the people making the sh- these shows and films or whatever. You're not really meant to take these things beyond face value, um, and that's kind of how I define it. And that's very loose and has a lot of flaws. But that's that's kind of how I generally define it. I think that's I mean I I like that because you know so many people apply and and it and it can I so associate trash TV with reality TV which I don't think it's true and I'll get to that in a second because you recently uh discussed a a, a totally non-reality TV show that I would put in this category which we can talk about um but for the longest time I did but then I don't know I'm like there are reality shows that I do think create a an environment of uh, of being able to to engage with it critically, I think it's pretty yeah. rare. I think it, I do think it's rare, but I don't think that's good enough uh, for me. I think one of the first ones that I uh, latched onto very hard were just the Bravo series of like the Real Housewives because <laughs> that that was something that my wife was really into when we met, and she was just like she would just turn it on, 
And, you know, I, of course, just very, very, uh, just, I just missed it just immediately. I'm just like, oh, I can't believe you watched this. But like five minutes later, I'm like, wait, what? What did Carrie say to her? No. <laughs> you know? And I get like, I get pretty engaged. And now it's like, whatever, it's seven years later. And, and I think I've seen roughly every episode of that and Vanderpump Rules, which is maybe the trashiest show that Bravo has for it. Um, so yeah, I watch a lot of just like vapid people having like non problems with their lives essentially is a lot of it. Um, but yeah, let's talk about 90 day fiance because that's kind of a recent entrant into (laughs) trash TV. And I, first of all, I actually didn't know if like y'all got that show in the UK. I don't know why I figured that you wouldn't, but like I, that was a surprise to me. Um, because it's we have it's, like a it feels TLC, so American. which basically is it is very it's in so some ways American. it's very American, yeah. And and it's it, it for those who don't know, it's a premise of like following a bunch of Americans as they, uh, you know, basically develop like try to get their overseas fiancés over to the United States on a K one visa, and they have to marry them within ninety days, or they have to go back. Um, and that's the premise and like, it is such an American concept and the, the conversation around immigration is just always like pretty shitty in this show and, and everywhere else in the U S. Um, but like, yeah, like what, what's your history with this show and kind of what are, what are some of your notable, notable moments from, I don't know, maybe this show's history. I think I I saw it. It was a thing that I saw like referenced a lot on Twitter and was like, "What is this?" And then I started like sitting down and watching it, and it was like, <laughs> "There's just so much going on. There's so many layers." Yeah. Um, I think part of the thing again, bringing in that I'm Nigerian thing is there's always a Nigerian person there, <laughs> always, and it's it's very I'm like proud of my people for scamming their way to the US because like. <laughs> Because it's when you watch those relationships, it's always interesting because you can see the way in which people view in the like the global north view the global south. Because that's not just because the way um, it's not just an American thing. Like right. a lot of those like dynamics can be transposed over to the UK. They just kind of work sure. slightly differently. But like you can see that thing of oh, I'm treating this, like, random Nigerian man as this, like, very hypersexual being when he clearly isn't that interested in that. And it's and you can kind of, like, see it. Like, there was one where um, as soon as they met or got, got back to the hotel room, like, she literally, like, jumped on him. And it was like, yeah, have you even unpacked your clothes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's they're always like I think there are a few flavors of couple on the show. There, there's just like there's the rare ones that like I genuinely think they have a connection and they're trying to make something work. And I, I get like that's cool. And then there's just mm-hmm. like the obvious, like the obvious grift. And I respect it every time, like uh, <laughs> like every single time. It's great, and it's exactly what you said. It's just, it's always the American like projecting all of this like raw sexuality onto these people and then it's just it's a very strange thing when they finally get together um this is one of the weirdest shows that but it's insanely popular it's insanely (laughs) popular because they've 
I don't know if you've seen this, but the TLC just like launched an app that or like a streaming service like for all these shows or Discovery or oh whatever, whatever the hell it is. And they've based most of their extra like premium content around 90 Day Fiance. So now there's like an after show and it's yeah. like, you yeah, know, I've, it, I've watched it, some of that. <laughs> it, it's it's insane. And like I can't it. There's just so much of it. And it's preposterous to me, but I'm trying to think of like, why do you think it is so popular? I think with every kind of trash TV or reality TV show, there's kind of two main audiences for it. Mm-hmm. Like, and they kind of vary depending on the show, but there's one side, which is um, the people who kind of take it at face value and just kind of are there for the ride um, and the emotional drama and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then there's the other side, um, which is, I think, to be honest, probably often smaller, but um, it's people like me who, who are like <laughs> being weirdly analytical about it. Like the basic example of this for me is like with Big Brother, um, mm. where... You can you can sit there you can watch it like um, as the episodes come out and you watch the episodes and you get the narrative that's kind of being given you to directly by producers and stuff like that. It can go along with that, or you can be a, the um, other side of it where you're watching all the feeds, where you're on the forums, you're trying to find out who's coming next season, you're trying to get all the extra thing. And I think this is kind of like two different kinds of enjoyment which work for different kinds of people. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think the UK, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the UK has had an angle on this for a lot longer than the US has of trash TV. Because because I think, like, Big Brother is a really good example of something that took off in the UK first. And it is so much more buck wild there than it is in the US. Like, <laughs> it's like, I when I visited and saw Big Brother, I was like, oh, this is, oh, the show that, that I don't like that's on in the US? Okay, sure, I'll watch it. And it was like, it was so unbelievably like sexually charged, violent outbursts, like a lot of things that I just didn't expect. And Paul just wrote in the chat, uh, Paul, a producer, uh, Love Island. Like, uh, do you have you watched Love Island? Because I've watched quite a bit of that recently. Yeah, <clears throat> I've watched. I've watched Love, Love Island. Is Love Island is <laughs> really? It's fun because I, I I think I mostly prefer those kind of um ones because they're so low stakes it is literally <laughs> just like people having non-issues and like pretending to be in love with each other it's great yeah um because the uk has an interesting interesting is not the way to put that but like a really shitty like other side to it which is they have these kind of like reality tv shows and i guess it's kind of in the same like vein as like cops but with different mm. different emphasis um, between about um, in like 2013 onwards, basically, there were a few of these like reality TV shows which are like about which increased about oh, uh, it's called like Benefit Street and like Can't Pay Will Take It Away, and it's basically a bunch of shows which are like really voyeuristically looking at the lives of people whose lives have basically been basically been ruined by austerity, but refusing to actually do that framing properly and instead like gawking at them. And, like, it's really... That's one of the things yeah. that I actually find interesting about this kind of TV is that it's very reflective of a specific time in culture because those, as soon as, like, austerity was a thing, those shows all sprung up out of nowhere. Yeah. 
no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you also wrote recently about uh, Riverdale. I want you to talk to me about Riverdale <laughs> for a second because this is a show that I I think I watched five episodes of. I, I, I didn't dislike it. I mean, I definitely was like, okay, this is trash and I kind of love it, but I can't. I can't engage with this right now for whatever reason. Um, what do you love about Riverdale? Oh, it's a great, this is a great question. <laughs> um, it's like, I think I'm just so emotionally invested. I can't leave because his, <laughs> because the thing is, I like it mentally know that it's very badly written. It's badly performed. It's deeply problematic in 20 different ways. And I'm still like, Oh, but oh my god! But um, but 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 Jughead wrote his book. <laughs> it's like this weird thing where I feel like I'm so far in that, like, the show is somehow effective at like getting you to emotionally connect to these things, even though in your head you're like, "This is just bad. Why are we? Why are we doing any of this?" Um, and also it's just fun to be like, "What does this?" writer's room which is clearly composed of like a very specific group of people think that like 17 year olds do <laughs> yeah that's all, really that might be my all-time favorite trope in just television history of just like um you know 16 year olds like 17 year olds talking to each other like like adults but also just getting into the wildest shit like my life was so boring as a high schooler and i don't know <laughs> i i love these lives of people um that there was some time jump recently i mean i don't want to get into like spoilers it's... i guess but like i think the funniest part about the promo for the time jump was just like Archie goes to war. Like someone joins the FBI or whatever. And then like someone, it was just like so incredibly whiplashy. I'm just like, Oh, y'all are equating so many things to one another. And it, it's so wild. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. The show is uh, like weirdly like pro, FBI and like pro cop yeah. and like pro military and I'm like okay <laughs> wait wait sure I feel like that's like 95% of shows over here though like I, I think most things that get produced in the US like every single time someone brings up the military or the cops it's usually in the in the like even if they're even if someone says something bad about them there is usually a quote quote unquote quote unquote good cop somewhere in the show um <laughs> which is such a bummer. Uh, a piece of trash TV that has been on for 22 or 23 years at this point, and I think it is definitely trash TV, is Law & Order. Uh, like, cop procedurals are like fall into this category yes. for me of being like, if you try to... It's not meant for you to engage critically with it, I don't think, because if you did, you would stop watching it, I think, because <laughs> it's just crap. But, like... I'm so tired of this genre of show. Um, what do you think, like, the next, like, let's say cop shows and cop tropes, like, disappear tomorrow, which, like, God willing. Um, what should replace it, trope-wise? I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of people brought this up with, like, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is maybe, like, the best example of this. Yeah. Where people are like, oh, yeah, this dynamic would work with, like, firefighters or with postmen or whatever. But I guess it's that thing of, these shows reflect society, so it basically depends who are the next group of people that we are going to decide are, like, 
heroes mm. and therefore that that trend will follow that like that's just kind of where these shows go because i think it's always like with with those kind of law and order that shows it's like what does it kind of say about like us as a culture that we're so willing to uncritically consume this sort of violence or like the way in which they'll literally like torture people and they'll be like oh well you know he got he got, he got the criminal in the end and you're like oh yeah this, this this says something about us in terms of what we are willing to just watch and just and like that actually feeds into part of my thing about how a lot more stuff is trash tv than we say it is because i think as you were saying in terms of reality tv and stuff like that i think a lot of trash tv stuff gets gendered very aggressively mm. it's like ah uh, yeah these shows that like particularly teenage girls but like women more generally like these are the shows that are trash tv right. but i think there are a lot of shows which are more aimed at men or more like um neutral in terms of gender and even have this like air of prestige about them which ultimately are still hitting the same buttons and that's fine i think we should accept that and embrace that but it's like sometimes it's very telling what gets defined as trash and what doesn't yeah i I think maybe my hottest take is that i watched like all seven seasons of mad men and i think it falls into that category i was like I was like, there's nothing redeeming about any of these people. This is aimed at men who love to make (laughs) old fashions. And I haven't heard anything profound come out of this show for like one (laughs) second. So it's all a bunch of hot people getting into trouble and making drinks in the middle of the day. That's about it. Um, That's my hottest take for this episode. But uh, I think I totally agree with you. I think like uh, Trash TV does get lumped into this category um you know it's kind of like the bravo thing like bravo definitely knows its audience but i think like that entire uh idea has been kind of slapped onto this idea that that's the only kind of trash tv that there is and um yeah it's definitely not true um yeah i i would say like most most things that uh appeared in the off hours of g4 tv like cops and cheaters and all that stuff that was all very um male i think typically male focused energy but like absolutely nothing coming out of them um is there is there anything in any trash tv on your radar that might not be on mine that i should uh check out oh um let me think there is this this show um which uh david shimamura over at winnable loves uh which is below deck <laughs> um, which is basically yeah. they're all. I don't know if you you've heard of it. Have you heard of it? I have. I've seen a lot of it. But please go ahead. Please keep going. I, w- I want to hear <laughs> yeah. your take on it. Um, it's just like these people are just all on a ship, and um, <laughs> they're all working on a ship, and like all the drama here, and it's. I don't understand the way that show is edited, and I've only watched like some of the earlier episodes, so in later seasons they might fix it but the way that show is edited is feels like a fever dream mm. yeah it's it, it is basically it follows the crew of a yacht like a charter yacht that like uh only rich people can afford like insanely rich people because i looked it up <laughs> one time how much it costs to book those and it's insane um it's completely out of pocket um and it follows the crew the captain of the crew and they all have interpersonal drama and you know like two two of the pe- two of the crew people always fall in love and there's always a third one that's mad about it basically <laughs> that's every season um 
you're right. The editing is wild. And here's here's why I think I figured out it's wild. Because the crew has an entirely separate area where they stay that they're never, ever supposed to acknowledge. And that's what ma- that's part of what makes it so strange to me is that it feels more claustrophobic even than it maybe should or something. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Um, but that's a really buck wild show. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. The chef always gets into trouble. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> like it just seems like you you make the food. And then you go, then you go to bed, but like I don't know. It seems like is... a very easy job to not to like not do it. You just cook. You, you just cook. Yeah. It's, it's easy. Listen, it's not an easy job to. Well, not easy, people, but like but it's yeah. straightforward. Right? Yeah. It's like I think you could just be like, yeah, thanks for making. I'm gonna make the food for everyone, and now it's um, <laughs> and now it's time for me to go. But it's always just something like. Um, yeah, the people who who are dining with us tonight are all vegan, and we know we didn't tell you that they're vegan. And I know that you made a sixteen-hour crown roast, but now you have to like make something vegan, and then, then the chef just has a meltdown in the kitchen. It's just very, I don't know, it's just very funny. Uh, but that's a good recommendation. That's a really that's like an under the radar one that like I don't think people talk about, but it it is. It is both very American in the sense that, like, this kind of, like, opulent uh, extrav- – and most of the guests are just, like, the most obnoxious Americans, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's a pretty good one. Anything uh, anything from the UK that, like, maybe hasn't made it over here yet? Um, I, n- I mean, Love Island is the big one, really. I can't yeah. – because the circle because i think what basically has happened especially it's more accelerated now even is that all the all the good uk reality tv shows just immediately get punted over to the us Mm. i guess there's one one good one uh, maybe is first dates Mm. um which i don't think you guys have i don't think so first dates yeah no so um it's literally just it is is what it says on the tin um it's (laughs) they send these two people on a date and just film it and it's always interesting because some of them are just like very like boring and normal and some of them just come up with weird stuff and you're like why are you like this as a person what are you on about it's just very weird but it's it's like it's it's like very low-key uh again low stakes which i appreciate yeah um and it's pretty enjoyable I would say. Alright, first dates. Yeah. I think I think I think Paul's right. It might be on Netflix. Yeah, it's one of those ones that got that got punted over. Oh, oh, they renate they called it something new. It's called Dating Around when it came over here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check this out for sure. I love low stakes. Low stakes is great. I don't know. I watch a lot of high stakes drama. And so this is a good palate cleanser for me. Um, absolutely. Do you uh what what are you watching that may not be trash? Do you watch a lot of non-trash these days? I I watch it's funny because in terms of TV, I mostly only watch trash TV. Uh-huh. Like in terms of films is where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch stuff which actually isn't like trash or whatever. <laughs> um But in terms of stuff that I've watched recently, uh I mean it's I think it comes out in a few days. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is yeah. 
fantastic. Is it? Okay, cool. It's yeah. Now, by the time this podcast comes out, it will have released, so that's all good. Um, it's it's like it's really good. I think the one thing that I have to say about that film is it's not a Fred Hampton biopic. Okay. So if you come to that film expecting a Fred Hampton biopic, you will absolutely be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> or not, you the, won't be disappointed, but you'll be thrown. The The trailer focuses a lot on Fred Hampton, uh, which, which yeah, that's one of the best trailers of the past, like, five years. Like, I saw that, and I was like, wow, this yeah. is a... This is amazing. And uh, has two uh, of my very uh, favorite actors in it, David Kaluuya and... Um, um, oh, my gosh. It just escaped me. <laughs> it absolutely just escaped me. Licky Sanfield? Yes. Gee, oh, my God. I, <laughs> I was like, I can't believe it. It was like right... I was like reading it, and it didn't come out. Um, I think they're both... They're both two of my favorite actors, like, today. Um yeah, and I love I love that are that they're in a movie again, um, so like that's that, that's really that, good. That in yeah, it's really good. I think that that entire cast is in that film and in general is incredible, yeah. because like I, it seems like it's almost targeting me personally to put Kaluuya, Stanfield, um, Dominic Fishback, and Jesse Clemens <laughs> in one film. Like yeah. it's like oh, this is just my actors <laughs> yeah yeah jesse Plemons is so good at being a shithead too and i'm assuming he's a shithead in this movie yeah he absolutely is he, he he's in a re it's like a really jesse Plemons role and like he's perfectly cast <laughs> it's so fun jesse Plemons just looks like if matt damon went through like a villain filter to me like it's just like <laughs> like he just looks like if someone looked at Matt Damon and was like okay make him a villain and then it's like okay that's Jesse Plemons there he is um, <laughs> he's just very good at being kind of a smarmy asshole um, yeah like I, I I don't know I can't remember the last movie I saw with Lakeith Stanfield in it that I didn't absolutely love um, and uh, yeah I I'm super excited about that but really one of my one of my most anticipated movies so I'm, I'm excited to, to watch it um anything else going on with you teo before we wrap up um i don't think so i think Any, anything you want to plug anything going on with you where can oh, folks find right, you yeah online? um speaking of trash tv actually um my unwinnable column uh that comes out in a week and a half or something uh, my next one i am talking about uh married at first sight australia um, <laughs> that's a good one too I've watched a few episodes of that it's really good so I'm excited just, to read I love your it. thoughts <laughs> but yeah I mean other than that you can just find me on Twitter at NijaPrince21 and if you're Nigerian you will immediately understand the spelling if you're not then good luck um, <laughs> and at Instagram at TaylorWrites that's awesome uh, <laughs> thank you so much for hanging out this is uh this is fun. I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Hold up. 
Finally this week, Sonic the Hedgehog is one of the final films many of us saw in theaters last year, and after a long and strange production, became the third highest grossing film of 2020. Paramount Pictures this week decided to make the sequel official, called Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Light spoilers for the first film, but Sonic's two-tailed partner in crime, Miles Tails Prower, makes an appearance in a credit sequence, and judging by the logo of the new film, will be a major part of the sequel. Rumors are also swirling about Knuckles making an appearance, as echidnas were displayed in a negative light in the first film. Aside from the returns of Ben Schwartz and Jim Carrey as Sonic and Dr. Eggman, respectively, no other cast members have been announced. Tails' voice in the end credits was Tails' voice regular Colleen O'Shaughnessy, but some departures from the Sonic franchise and other media properties indicate she may not make it back for the sequel. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will get a theater release on April 8th, 2022. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Thanks for the Knowledge. I really appreciate you hanging out with me. Uh, thank you so much to Tayo uh, for hanging out and talking about Trash TV. Thank you to Paul Tamayo for producing this episode. Thank you, Paul. Uh, if you want to uh, help us out a lot, you can go uh, give us a big old five-star rating on your podcaster of choice. Uh, write us a nice review. That would super help us over there at the uh, Apple platform. That would be great. Uh, you can check out all of our other podcasts at fanbyte.com slash podcasts or my favorite URL, podcastnet.work. Uh, <laughs> thanks again, and until next time, you're welcome.